You're about to hear a conversation that we had with Lieutenant Colonel K.J. Johnson, who's a director of the C.S. Lewis Institute in Chicago. There are very few things that excite me more than C.S. Lewis. However, in this conversation, we go beyond Lewis and talk about something far more momentous, and that's discipleship. And as you'll see, discipleship is not just for the elites, but it's for the frauds, the fakes, and the fools like me, and maybe like you. KJ makes a powerful case as to why you need the engine of discipleship at work in your life, and he gives practical methods for doing so. I really hope this conversation stirs you up as much as it stirred me up. And if you haven't done so already, go and find and follow us on our new Instagram account and our new Facebook page. That's facebook.com forward slash bumper sticker faith. And also consider becoming a BS crew member so we can keep providing this most vital content. There's too much BS out there. So join us in fighting against it. And when you do, like me, you'll find that most of it is right inside your own heart. Yo, welcome everyone to Bumper Sticker Faith. I'm here with uh, my man, Louis Dooley. My name What's is up? Sam Key. And uh, we just braved a wintry mix to man, get it's here. it's a blizzard out there, man. I saw like bl- four <laughs> snowmen like on skis out there waving with big smiles on their faces, man. What but the we heck? made it in the studio by 8.15. People ask, do we do the show live? Eh, almost. I'm alive. I'm alive. Oh, well, then we doing almost. it live. How was your week? How's your fast been? Well, you know, it was 21 days. Yeah. So that ended about three, four days ago. Um, Is that why you haven't? Stopped? That's why I've been smashing these donuts <laughs> this morning. No, nah, um, you know, it was good. Um, by the grace of God, I was able to, for the most part, like not have any like fallbacks or yeah. whatever you want to call yeah. them. I'm still seeking that which I was praying for, hmm. which was discernment mm-hmm. um, about something. I'm still. I'm still mm. waiting to hear from God, although I'm not fasting anymore. Yeah. But I do have a little clarity, which mm-hmm. is good, and, and maybe that's what the Lord will give me. Yeah. But prayer, but it went well. Prayer and fasting is part of discernment. You know, I learned yesterday uh, something that I remember reading from the Didache. Have you ever heard of that? It's like one of the first, uh, other than the Bible, the New Testament. The Didache. Didache. D-I-D-A-C-H. <clears throat> I don't know. A-E. No, I've never heard of that. But it's one of the first Christian writings that we have in existence, other than the New Testament. And in the Didache, um, they talk about fasting, like when you fast, and they Mm kind of like, and Didache means teaching. And so they set out kind of the parameters for the Christian's early fasting. And I thought of you Mm -hmm. when I heard this, that the Christians would regularly fast on Wednesdays and Fridays until 3 p.m., so why Wednesdays? Because they said that Wednesday was the day that um, Judas betrayed Jesus, and Friday was the day that Jesus died, so they'll fast Wednesdays and Fridays, and and up until 3 p.m., because 3 p.m. was the time that he actually died. Mm. So there you go. Mm, okay, nice. But that's like discipleship, and that's yeah. what we're going to be talking about today. And we have a special guest with us today. Uh-oh. Who is that guest? In the room. In the room, Who braved live. the snow. He's alive. He didn't hit no snowman. It is Lieutenant Colonel K.J. Carl Johnson. I feel like I want to stand up and salute. I'll salute, but I'm not going to stand up because I got this mic in front of me. (laughs) Have we had any Lieutenant Colonels in the studio before? I don't know if I know any others but this gentleman. I don't know either. Lieutenant Colonel. That's almost like a general, ain't it? No. You're like one step from a general or like the president or something. No, that would have been a lot longer time (laughs) in the uniform. And I was like debating, like, should we go forward with this episode today because of the snow. But I thought I was, I was guys a Marine. He's going to, he's going to make it. I was thinking we're going to need to have like a 21 gun salute or something, (laughs) you know, break the AKs and stuff out. I was going to ask him to come SWAT team coming around. (laughs) Yeah. Come pick me up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. Coming with a Hummer. Sure. Yeah. So, um, 
So KJ, it's good seeing you, brother. We man, already kind of know each other. We yeah. met some years ago in various different circles that we run in. So man, it's a blessing. We keep yeah. crossing paths, and we do. I'm glad we, we do. finally we keep talking about. I keep talking about doing something. It's just been crazy busy, but I'm Dang. glad we got time to do the this. The time will come. Yeah. And KJ, you're the um, the director of the C.S. Lewis Institute in Chicago. That's right. Correct? Yep. And um, it says here that you've uh, been a C.S. Lewis fellow since 2008. So we'll maybe talk about what that okay. exactly means to be a fellow. But you also have a master's in military studies and two master's of arts from Trinity Evangelical Divinity Because I wasn't School. smart enough to do an MDiv, because I didn't want to do the languages. So that <laughs> but, was my but compensation. Two, two Masters of Arts, that's still... Yeah, but a lot of those classes overlap, because you take the you know, the core requirements, and they count for both. What were the specialties in both of those? Uh, well... Do you, do you remember? <laughs> the specialties? Uh, systematic or, Theology, you're taking some extra systematic. Okay. okay. Yeah, and so then maybe some church history, okay. and then uh, philosophy of religion, you're taking more philosophy of religion classes. Um, and then, you know, you work the electives in there to count for both and stuff like that. So yeah. I had to take an ethics class. And, You're too humble. I just want to, uh, I just want to say to the listeners, in case you didn't know, like, I feel like my IQ is like 20 points higher while I'm sitting here with these two guys. <laughs> Cause they're saying stuff. I don't even know, like an ethics class, like what the heck is that? You know, they didn't have that in 10th grade. It was too long is what it was. <laughs> it was too long. Wow. So, um. So we're here to talk about, uh, well, we want to have you on, and you suggested why not talk about discipleship mm. uh, uh, from the vantage point of how the C.S. Lewis Institute mm-hmm. kind of goes about it. And e- even from your past, um, I guess, experiences as a Marine and the um, the groups, the Christian groups you were part of there and yeah. um, all of that. So I want to know just as we start kind of a, a basic question is tell us about being a marine why'd you want to do that i that's interesting to me yeah uh, it seems like a crazy thing well i was uh i was influenced early because my father was a marine mm. and so he kind of biased me towards the marine corps against the other services um but you know the funny thing is uh my friends in high school joked with me and said you're the last guy i thought to go in the marine corps hmm. yeah, it's kind of mm. like you grow up a a pastor's kid, and you don't think you're going to be a pastor, and then you end up a pastor or something. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to fly. I really wanted to fly. And mm. I mean, I was 16 years old when Top Gun came out. Mm. Uh, yeah, I remember yeah. in junior high going to visit the Naval Academy. And so um, that's what I mean. I, actually, what I wanted to be is I wanted to be an astronaut. Mm-hmm. Oh, I used wow. to sit outside at night, look at the moon, and just be an mm. I'm still in love with the moon. I think it's wow. the coolest thing mm. in the world. Hmm. Uh, well, out of the world. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. So my and my dad used to ask me, "What is it you want to do?" And you know, he helped chart a course. I'm like, "Well, I want to go be a pilot." And then that's what huh. most you know you can be a pilot in the military and try to do that. And um, obviously, it didn't work out. I one, I didn't realize you should probably have an engineering degree. I was uh-huh. terrible with math and science, um, but I could fly. So I took a commission in the Marine Corps to be a pilot and go to flight school. So hmm. that was the main thing. But I knew I would do it in the Marine Corps and not in one of the other services because, like I said, my dad. Twisted my mind early on towards the Marine Corps. So it's so it says here that you were the air mission commander for former presidents George W. Bush and Bill Clinton. Uh, not W. Uh, his father H. W. Is H. W. Okay. Um, yeah, we we're in. Um, you know, in two thousand four, that that tsunami smash yeah. into uh, Indonesia and stuff, and so we were out there doing all sorts of relief, and then the two of them came out on behalf of the U.S. and some relief agencies okay. to do tours and got to fly them. And the commanding officer of my squadron was the former commanding officer of, or not, he, no, he hadn't been the commanding officer yet, but he was, had been in uh, the presidential squadron. There's a squadron dedicated just to flying the president. Mm. So he knew all the protocols. And even though they're former presidents, they don't always get the same exact protocols. He ran the show like, mm-hmm. like that, like mm. it was the president. And it was, it was cool. <clears throat> I had uh, Bush senior on my aircraft wow. uh, and, and Clinton was in, the Dash 2, we put them on separate birds in case mm-hmm. one goes down. Um, and they were both awesome. They both loved on the Marines and sailors. It was kind of neat to see two politicians who weren't running for office just out there mm-hmm. mixing mm-hmm. it up with the Marines and sailors and spending time with wow. them. And what kind of, what, it was a helicopter? Uh, uh, yep. Was, F-40 or something? Okay. No, helicopter. no, I flew, um, 
It was, uh, I mean, simply it's troop transport. Think of it like a, the Marine version of a Black Hawk. Okay. Because um, we would do casualty evacuations and uh, we were, our specialty was inserting into hot landing zones. Mm. So, but yeah, wow. I never, I never wow. did actually that. So, um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And I got to go see a lot of the world. I used to want to be a Marine too. My grandfather was a Marine hmm. and I wanted to be a Marine because he used to like hit these um, pressure points on my body that would like incapacitate <laughs> me. And I thought, wow, I want to go learn that stuff. That's dope. And I talked to a recruiter in high school yeah. and that guy bugged the <laughs> mess out of me calling my house every They're day salesmen. until I was like, Lewis is here. And he's like, this is Lewis. I'm like, this is James, his brother. He's like, Lewis, I know this is you. <laughs> It was crazy. I wish I'd have went, man. My life would be totally different. Yeah. Anyway, never know. So then, how did you, in the midst of all that, become a Christian? Uh, it it was all before that. Okay. I grew up. Well, then, then how did your faith talk about impact your um journey as a Marine too? Or how didn't it? Maybe. (laughs) Or how didn't? Yeah, I grew up in Chicago. I grew up um going to church. I was uh, I called myself a theological mutt. I went to a Lutheran grammar school for eight years. Mm-hmm. I went to an all-boys Catholic high school for four mm-hmm. years. The church I went to was, was a pretty fundamentalist church um, at the time. It's not that way really anymore. But uh, And then my dad was a practicing Buddhist. Mm-hmm. So I had a little bit of everything. Um, but I was going to church all the time, and I spent time. Uh, I lived at our church's summer camp. I worked at the church as a janitor in high school. And so I... I took my faith pretty seriously in high school, but right at the end of high school and in college, that's when I just sort of hit the pause button on all of that and mm. went and lived a hedonistic lifestyle mm-hmm. for the next seven years. So um, I was in the Marine Corps and finishing up flight school when uh, I married my then-girlfriend, now-wife, and had kids, and that uh, I, I joke that having kids and being married will sober you up both <laughs> literally and figuratively. So I realized I had to get my act together. And I never rejected my faith. I just pushed it aside, and I realized, okay, it's not just me. I'm, I'm playing too much. I have to make sure I set a good foundation for my kids. Mm. And so um, that's when I started getting serious again. Mm-hmm. I was already in the Marine Corps and trying. Now, the next few years were kind of hard, and we can get into a little bit more. But that's it took me a while to find and discover uh, authentic discipleship. Mm-hmm. So didn't I'd say the first half of my career didn't impact me that much. Mm. Um, it was the latter half, the last 20 years, uh, the the la- last half of my 20 years in the Marine Corps where I started trying to live it out more. Mm-hmm. And I kicked myself for really not being more serious. Mm-hmm. Mm. I've got a friend, a, a young brother in Christ who was in the Marine Corps and working his way up the ranks and wanted to make a you know lifetime of it. Uh-huh. And he became a Christian and he's like, I got to get out of this. Like it's mm. just dest- destroying my faith. So it can be, he, it can be hard. Yeah, so he got you can out. say that about a lot of vocations, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of places it could be hard, and you know, sometimes you got to make a change. Sometimes you're called to stay. Yeah, but it's interesting that initially, at least, doing the rigorous activity of the Marines didn't uh, encourage faith to grow. But it was having having kids and being married that. that well, did. you know, think of uh, it's rigor, but. Think of like being on a sports team, like if you're on a football team or basketball team or something. It, there's a boys club aspect to the mm-hmm. thing too, you know. Um, and so you cultivate all sorts of discipline and all that, but you're also having a good time. Yeah. You know, not the right kind of good time. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So it's it's the real responsibilities of life, you know, the stuff when you go home mm-hmm. that you realize, yeah, this really is going to define yeah. who I am. Well, we have uh, an article that, uh, that that you wrote uh, for the um, Knowing and Doing, is that? Yeah, that's our our quarterly journal. Okay, yep. for the Knowing and Doing came out in 2012, and and uh, maybe I'll put a link to that in our show notes so people okay. can read that. But I was like, I was excited afterwards. It makes after great read reading it. when you're tired and want to go to sleep. <laughs> no, I got I got pretty jazzed by it. I know Lewis did too. Yeah, so it was great. We'll probably be referring, you know, back and forth to that article. Um, as we go, um, but at, like as we do, as we start, how'd you get connected with the C.S. Lewis Institute then? Yeah. And did I skip over any No, that's actually things? a good segue because, yeah. you know, I talked about searching and I, I was hungry 
So when when I was in high school, I did take my faith seriously. Okay. I mean, I really, really wrestled. And like my sophomore year in high school, I was so serious about my faith that I stopped listening to secular music. And nobody told me to do this. I had a really mm-hmm. good youth pastor. Mm-hmm. I just was influenced. And I was like, I'm done. I'm, I'm going to listen to nothing but Christian music. Well, six months of Amy Grant and Michael W. Smith. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. I can't handle this anymore. Hey, friends uh, are friends forever. <laughs> <laughs> so I went back to The Cure or whatever else I was listening back in the uh, mid-80s. Um, but I tried, you know, and I, mm. I read Proverbs all year that year. I remember just thought if it's good enough for Solomon, it's good enough for me. Mm. Um, and you know, then I fell off the part of it is my senior year in high school, our youth pastor left, mm. he took a job in Texas and, um, fast forwarding to the point you're asking about where I'm trying to get back on my faith. I, I started doing some analysis cause it was hard, you know, I'm trying to teach myself and learn. And I did, went back and I looked, I'm like, where did I go wrong? And I realized I had these strong Christian men in my life in high school. Mm-hmm. You know, I said I was working at the summer camp. The camp director was a great man of God, uh, my youth pastor. Mm-hmm. And then the guy who was the building facility superintendent was a good man of God. And I was working there in my off hours. And like, he made sure I worked every New Year's Eve to keep me out of trouble. And I was always annoyed. <laughs> He's like, I want to be out on New Year's Eve. He's like, no, you got to work that night. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. And so while I was in good Christian community, I was okay. Yeah, and that yeah. shows the importance of community and having good examples. Mm-hmm. But none of them, I realized nobody ever poured directly mm-hmm. into me. Nobody discipled me. Mm-hmm. And that's when the light bulb went on. I'm like, I need someone to disciple mm-hmm. me. Because I feel like I know a lot, you know, about the gospel. You know, it's kind of like a Nacho Libre. I know the gospel. Mm. Uh, <laughs> uh, but am I connecting the dots right? Am I reading, doing this? Am I doing this mm-hmm. right in culture? I needed someone to at least verify mm-hmm. that, yeah, you're on the right path. So I went looking for it, and I got really, really hungry. Uh, and I discovered apologetics, and I got in deep into the world of apologetics. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's kind of a, a, a sub-thread that we could get into. But that was really helpful, because uh, I'd been really lazy, a really terrible mm-hmm. student up until this point. And that got that kind of lit, I call that my Romans 12-2 moment, lit a fire in my brain and got mm-hmm. me reading and thinking. Because mm-hmm. I used to hate reading. I just thought reading was for chumps. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but... After a few near misses, I finally came up to this. I found the C.S. Lewis Institute through a friend, and he's like, yeah, go talk to this guy. Um, and uh, he was the guy who's the president, and I was mm-hmm. at one of their events, and we just started getting to know each other, and I was going to their events, and he just he's listened to the Holy Spirit and kept his eye on me, and then one day sat down and said, why don't you come do our fellows program? And then, you know, it's a one-year discipleship program. I'm like, I was just wow. waiting for you to invite me. I was just yeah. waiting. Tell me how. Mm. And I ended up getting into the program. He ended up being my mentor, and he's been my mentor since mm. 2007, wow. 2006. And, I, and he's he's my spiritual father. And mm. that's when things came together. Mm. So there's like two aspects of that, though, that are important that, that I like are not <laughs> the same thing. One is... Like I need someone to disciple me to teach mm-hmm. me this knowledge and and so forth, but then there's also the like part of I just need strong Christians in my life. Yeah, and like I don't want people to walk away from this thinking that it's just about um, getting that knowledge because they could go to a, a book for that, or yep. they could go to the podcast for that. Yeah, but there's something about having real guys, real strong Christians in your life that actually does something right mm-hmm. like that's yeah. what's crucial yeah we, we yeah. can't sail along thinking that well i'll just rely on those people every now and again when i need them maybe and i can do all my learning on the side over here and i'll be good but having those people in your life is just as important right? yeah, iron sharpening iron i mean we need that yeah we need to be real with each other and not just for the sake of our relationship not ask each other the hard questions you know or make some harsh statements you know this is what i see and it's not good it's mm-hmm. not godly mm-hmm. and be willing to risk that relationship because you love that person yeah. right that's that's born out of love not out of look at me and look at you and you're like you're beneath me mm-hmm. so i read it i read a tweet tweet that said did I mention this before? But it said Jesus' greatest miracle. What was it? The fact that he was a 30-something-year-old guy and he still had 12 friends. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never yeah. heard you say that before. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I, well, I think the distinction you're bringing up is exactly right. Um, we we tend to be, I think, uh, you know, for lack of using a big word here, reductionistic. We sim- We oversimplify what we think discipleship is. Hmm. And 
Uh, I hear a lot of people teach, uh, the Greek word for disciple means learner. I'm like, literally, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the concept, when you do a deeper study (laughs) of disciple, it it meant more than learner. Mm -hmm. It meant somebody who imitates and Mm -hmm. emulates. Um, And so, you know, if we were in first century Israel, and, you know, we got... Rabbi Lewis over here, and you mm-hmm. and I want to go study with him, be young Padwans. Mm-hmm. You know, we would come and we would apply to try to come be with you. And then the idea is we would emulate everything about your yeah. life because we go, what is it that Lewis has got that we don't got? And so we would try to eat the way he eats, walk the way he mm-hmm. walks. And we're studying and learning all that stuff. But even with the one-on-one mentoring, it's not. Pri- it wasn't primarily him teaching me stuff because we are getting teaching from other stuff. Um, but so we have to. We have to emulate, practice those things, and we need the community both. You know, I I, I, I kind of break up. I, I view discipleship as a spectrum. And uh, there's this guy named Greg Ogden who wrote the book Transforming Discipleship. It's a great book. Everybody should read it. Um, and he discusses in there one of the—I uh, call it a myth of discipleship. Uh, I don't remember what he calls it, but it's when I teach on discipleship, I call it one of the myths. And one of them is that, you know, we— he calls it the Paul Timothy rut. We, when we think mm. of discipleship, it's just one-on-one stuff. It's like, you don't see Jesus doing a lot of one-on-one. Mm. Not that he didn't, and maybe he did, and it wasn't recorded greatly, you know, but because we, we think of the Paul Timothy yeah, model. Yeah. And what you saw of Jesus doing was these concentric circles mm-hmm. of his inner ring and the 12 and the 72 and on and on. And all of those are forms of discipleship. So mm-hmm. what I call the four main points in the discipleship spectrum are one-on-one, uh, peer-to-peer. This comes from Greg Ogden, groups of three mm-hmm. or four because it's a very different dynamic than even small groups. And that's the next point, mm-hmm. small groups, mm-hmm. 8 to 12. To okay. And then one on many, you know, what you'd get on Sunday morning when you want to mm. talk about the orchard and Colin mm-hmm. Smith. Yeah, Colin yeah. Smith is discipling everybody. There are pros and cons to each of those. And so what I got in that environment was, yeah, I got this guy. He was an awesome mentor. But he did, you know, in hindsight, he didn't necessarily teach me mm-hmm. things directly. He listened. He asked a lot of good questions. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes it was simply like, you think that's a good idea? And that, mm-hmm. I don't need you know, one, that says a lot right there. Yeah. Um, and he and he prayed for me and encouraged me. Mm-hmm. So and then I was in a community of others. And then the difference between the community I was in then than when I was younger is everybody had a common vision for what discipleship mm-hmm. should be, and we're we're able to leverage those relationships better rather than it sort of happening by accident and passively. Mm-hmm. And so if we were all in the same church, which which we're not, but you know, and then we, you know, Lewis and I noticed that you're having little trouble or we haven't seen you as regularly mm-hmm. like yo man what's up sam and then mm-hmm. we start talking about let's go check on sam mm-hmm. and then we're over here with a bunch mm-hmm. of donuts and checking to make sure you didn't pass out from your mm-hmm. 21 day fast or something mm-hmm. like that you know these <laughs> yeah i know i'm just but anyhow <laughs> we become intentional and i think what was lacking when i was younger was some intentionality we were just getting together and when we embrace that vision we can be more intentional mm-hmm. and more deliberate about our discipleship mm-hmm. with one another, and then you know we could go deeper and all that. But and you have to be present with people for that. Mm-hmm. Like it's not, it's a farce to think that we can do the same thing online. If we do it online, it should only be to augment the in-person stuff. Yeah, and yeah. in a short-term basis. Yeah, uh, it should not replace yeah. wholesale. Yeah, like well, like what you were saying about having these guys in your life and like how did they, how did they pray? How did they? Mm-hmm. How, how how did they sit with me? How did they do the, all these things? I think of the. There's a philosopher, Rene Girard, who he says, and he's a Christian too. But he said that like the most fundamental part of being a human is something he called the mimetic um, tendency that we have, and mimetic just means to imitate. Mm-hmm. So he says the most fundamental thing about people are they want to imitate things. They want to imitate. Uh, they they wanted. I want to be it. like Mike. That that's was right. All in the nineties, right. and everything and, and just, I did on the basketball court was imitating Michael Jordan. And the power of that, and like I found myself, and partly why, like what drew me to Lewis, like there, not C.S. Lewis, but <laughs> R. Lewis, a different Lewis Institute, was um, <laughs> like there's some things about him that I want to uh, yeah. be like, and I found myself um, mimicking him, you know, and when he's not even here, like his ability to just speak his mind and be real. It's like something that, that I want. And we could all, we all have those stories of, of people in our lives. Uh, But that's, I love what you said though, but that's 
like discipleship, because I've heard that too, like disciple just comes from the Greek. It means to learn, therefore get a book. It's like, no, it's no, like no, butterfly no. means butter that's flying. It's, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> well, you don't just it, take it, a word like that all the it, well, time. Well, it would, could also imply that, okay, I just got to go to Moody Bible Institute and I get, a, I get oh, this yeah, degree. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, think about all of these learned men who've been to those kinds of institutions, like, you know, Bart Ehrman, who's one of the big yep. skeptics yep. Duke, of the Bible right? right now, he went to Wheaton College. I think he might have gone to Moody Bible Institute as, mm. a, as an undergrad. I don't remember for sure, but he went to Wheaton. He's got like the evangelical pedigree, yeah, yeah. but he doesn't. And he probably knows the Bible. Well, not probably. He knows about the Bible better than the three of us put together. But he doesn't believe in but it. But he doesn't believe in it. Mm-hmm. So was he discipled? No, he was not. Mm-hmm. He missed He missed that mark. He was discipled by something. Yeah, well, yes, good point. We're yeah. all being... Uh, so one of my favorite professors from my time at Trinity is uh, Kevin Van Hooser. Oh, and yeah. yeah I, he's a great guy. Um, and he always says, you are being spiritual. It's not a matter of whether or not you're being spiritually formed. It's just mm-hmm. a matter of what. You're always being formed by something. Is it, uh, mm. I don't want to pick on a news network, but pick, pick you know, MSNBC or Fox News or whatever, mm. whatever you're taking in all the time. Or if you're just watching nothing but ESPN, you know, mm. it doesn't even have politics. That stuff's shaping you. Yeah. Stephen A. Smith, man, are you start walking and talking like Stephen A. Smith all the time? <laughs> dressing people down? Mm-hmm. It's like, my, I'm mm-hmm. saying it serves like a walk around flexing right. on people, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that, that could be helpful some ways, man. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, you're being formed one way or the other. So mm-hmm. you got to be intentional about what you're taking in and how you're affecting others. I mean, one of the things for me coming out of prison where discipleship was gigantic, in believe prison. it or not. Yeah. 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 Getting out and coming to the real world and seeing very little to no form of it at all was so disheartening for me that I felt lost. Why do you so this is this is a fascinating observation because I would never have had that insight, but why do you think it's so important inside than it is outside? Well it wasn't that it was more important inside, it's just that it was it was there. It existed because there were individuals coming in as volunteers who that's what they were doing, hmm. discipling us and teaching us to go disciple others. And it was all the components that you've been mentioning, right? It's, okay. it's books, it's preaching, it's Bible studies, it's fellowship time, it's one-on-one, it's accountability. All those things I learned the 15 and a half years I was in prison. And it wasn't just learning, it was practicing. So it was the the learning was so that you could practice. Right. That was the whole concept. It wasn't to just learn and just say, hey, I know a bunch of stuff. You're going to learn this because you're supposed to go do it. But you guys weren't compelled to be there, though. You could have opted out if you thought, ah, oh, this is... Oh, yeah, we yeah. weren't made to do that. So there's a difference because... Some of that stuff's happening in churches. I mean, we can oh, throw rocks. So why do you think you I guys just, were I just meant from it? A, I just meant from an overall standpoint, the few churches that I got to know intimately, yeah. I didn't see it happening amongst the people in the church, starting with the person at the top all the way down to yeah. the people that were going to church, and they might not even been Christians it's, and everybody in between. But this is a question I'm asking all the time, though, because people, I was just, so we were just talking, you know, off air ahead of time. That you know, I was on that radio station, eleven sixty ish, mm-hmm. the local Chicago one, and that was one of the questions Brian Fromm asked me. And I said, "Well, if I had that figured out, I'd be writing books and have my own show." <laughs> but so I'm asking this question, and I have a lot of different theories, mm-hmm. and they may be partially good, but that's why I'm asking you because okay. you've seen, now you've tasted mm-hmm. and experienced authentic, real discipleship that's vibrant, and so now you're out, you're looking at it, and I, I'm so I'm asking you too, like. You know, help me figure this one out. Why are we just so this not being flat? I, I mean, so the only re- the answer I can give you is it was being taught to us mm-hmm. and yeah. reinforced mm-hmm. all the time where I was, mm-hmm. and I don't see that happening out here right. because right. you know it's the sheep, right? The sheep are going to do what the shepherd is instructing them to do. I, I'm going to say an extreme statement because that's what I do. Uh oh, uh oh, <laughs> go to him. Um, you need a sound effect for that, like some sort of <laughs> like screech. a boom. <laughs> <laughs> For guys who are in prison, in a max security prison, it's pretty obvious they need discipled, you know, to the outside world. You know, why are, why are churches or groups co- wanting to come in? Because they're like, oh, these guys are messed up. They're obviously bad people. Mm-hmm. They obviously need help. They obviously need to change their ways. Mm-hmm. And so we'll gladly, you know, most of the time, joyfully give them that discipleship. 
But do we look around that? that This is what I'm trying. This is a statement, the extreme statement. But do we look around at our local normal churches and look at those people and say the same thing? I think maybe we should. Mm. Like these people are obviously messed up. They and I'm not talking about the prisoners. I'm mm-hmm. talking about the normal congregation. Yeah. They obviously need help. They're obviously twisted. They're obviously one step away from committing crimes, whether they realize it or not. And but we don't. We think, oh well, you know, they got a big house, yeah. a nice car. They're fine. Well, you know, they, co- they, they come to our church. They're fine. But maybe they're not. I, I think you're right. And I also think one of the differences. It's not just the difference that we on the outside think they need it. It's the guys on the inside know they need it and yeah. they're receiving it. Because I yeah, would say true. there are some churches that are uh, have tried. And I remember hmm. we had a guy that was a mentor in our program, and he was a pastor for 40 years, and he's retired now. And he made this comment. We had him teach for us once. He said, it's hard to be a leader today because followers are so fickle. Mm-hmm. Mm. And those people who don't see the need for it, because they got the nice house Absolutely. and the big yard yep. and all that, they don't see the need for yep. it. And if they're they're kind of being taught these things, then maybe they're even being made to feel, you know, they feel guilty. They're being mm-hmm. convicted. I'm not saying that the people are putting guilt trips on mm-hmm. them, but they're feeling the conviction. They just go to another church. Mm-hmm. They just roll up the street and go, oh, I don't know. Yeah, well, I want to say one thing just for clarity's sake. Like every like church or volunteer going into a jail or prison doesn't have discipleship on their mind. I would say yeah. it's quite the okay. contrary. It's let me just go in here and evangelize and get these people saved, and then it's on to the next one. It's hit and run. Okay. So there's no discipleship on the mind of most people going in. It was just a few individuals mm-hmm. that, by the grace of God, I happened to encounter, yeah. and I'm still involved in their lives and they in mine currently. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so, but to your point, like, the difference between the sinner living in a big house that has a nice job and a nice family and the guy that's in prison is that obviously the guy in prison, his sin was breaking the law. Mm-hmm. And maybe the guy in the big house and the family, their sin isn't breaking the law. Or but he just hasn't been caught yet. Or just haven't been caught, but they're still guilty in the eyes of God, you know, and their sin mm-hmm. will lead them to a path of destruction lest they have Christ as their Savior. Yep. All right. We'll be back. Okay, you said something, KJ. You wrote something in your article which stood out to me and it stood out to mm-hmm. Lewis too, where um, you said when Jesus gave the Great Commission in Matthew 28, he said, go therefore and make disciples. He didn't say, Jesus didn't say, go and evangelize or go and make Christians yeah. or go and make Baptists or whatever. Mm-hmm. But he said, go and make disciples. He kind of said, go make Baptists and go baptize. <laughs> yeah, but go and make disciples. So I, that stood out to me. I thought that was a great observation. Could you break that down a little yeah, for us? Yeah, well, <clears throat> I'm glad you went there because I think this dovetails kind of nicely in yeah. some of the last things that uh, Lewis was just saying about the people coming to prison and just wanting to do, the, notching another evangelical, uh, evangelistic win. On yeah, point. we'll just mm-hmm. step into prisons, evangelize these guys, and then yeah, we're we need done. to get these people saved. Yeah. And then I did my job, yeah. it's on to the next one. Yeah. Yeah, so I think this to me, and maybe this is another one of those, uh, you know, scratch the record uh, controversial things, but we have created a false bifurcation between evangelism and discipleship. And I would say that we have gotten myopic on evangelism Mm. in the past 15, 20 years, where we've, I don't want to say we've elevated evangelism, because it's incredibly important, and I'm not trying to downplay Mm -hmm. it, but the rest of the process has been forgotten. Mm -hmm. And evangelism is part of the disciple-making process. And yep. So if you listen to a lot of... And so this is interesting now. Listen to some of the big folks out there. When, they, when they're talking about making disciples of the Great Commission, oftentimes they're just talking about evangelism. Mm-hmm. When it should include the whole process. And so there's a great book out there called Birthline by Stephen Smallman that talks about this in great detail. And he uses that 
metaphor that Jesus was talking about when he says you have to be born again. And and so Smallman mm. draws a great parallel between physical birth and spiritual birth. And of course, the difference being the, the gestation period of physical birth is very fixed. And the difference there being in spiritual, it, it isn't. It could take people 50 years. Um, but, you know, questions he asks is sort of like, well, okay, let's talk about the original 12 disciples. When were they saved? Hmm. Don't really know. And of course, it was yeah. an odd time because they got to know Jesus before and after. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you what he did do. He said, come follow me. Mm-hmm. He called them into a life of discipleship before they even really knew who he was. Mm-hmm. And so if those people who were coming to prison were thinking more holistically about the process of disciple-making and discipleship, they could have seen those evangelistic encounters as part of that process. Now, even if they're—we know that some are gifted as evangelists, and so that's probably where they mm-hmm. should spend their time, but they would at least then know, i got to hand Lewis off to somebody. I'm going to hand Lewis off to Sam. Sam, meet meet baby, you know, babe in Christ Lewis, mm-hmm. and he needs, he needs someone to hold his hand because now we know that you are uniquely gifted in, in that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Yep. And so, you know, there's this metaphor that the church is a hospital— for sick and mm-hmm. broken people. Okay, if you run with that metaphor, in a sense, we've turned the church into a maternity ward. Mm-hmm. We're just delivering babies. Mm-hmm. And that's why you have all these shallow <laughs> churches, and then it's like, uh, deliver another baby, wheel it out in the hallway, mm-hmm. and leave it there. Mm-hmm. And uh, wow. and of course, they languish. Mm-hmm. And the church should have a whole, you know, a continuity of care, to use a, a healthcare metaphor. Mm-hmm. It should go from, you know, that to pediatrics all the way up to geriatrics. Yeah. We should be mm-hmm. caring for one another in that way, and that's the disciple-making process. We're, yes, you make a disciple when somebody comes to, into Christ, and, and there's a there's a, a, a moment of conversion mm-hmm. and all that. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you what, you look at the parable of the sower, and there are some people who have genuine responses to the gospel, but those things get choked out, and it's not. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, if I had written that article you guys read later in life, I would have written it and included the story of my brother. Mm. I had a, I had one sibling, little brother, three years younger, and um, he had the same upbringing as me, but he wasn't living it out, really. He wasn't terrible, but he wasn't. And I challenged him a few times, and he would like recite the Apostles' Creed and go, what else is there? And at the time, I didn't have mm-hmm. the language to kind of challenge him. And then when I was learning all this stuff, I thought, oh, my brother might be stuck in the third trimester. Mm-hmm. It may have been a genuine response to the gospel, so I started praying for him that way. I just prayed like he wasn't saved. I could have been wrong. I wasn't judging mm-hmm. him, yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. But I just thought I'm going to pray like he's not. And uh, you know, he ended up passing away in August 2012 of cancer. We mm-hmm. had a conversation on the phone a week before he died. He called me up. It's like, how do I know I'm going to heaven? Wow. I said, let's talk about grace. And we had a great talk. And as of now, I'm confident. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel Amen. confident I'm going to see him again. But mm-hmm. it changed the way I prayed and thought about him because I was getting frustrated. And, you know, annoyed at times. Mm-hmm. Like, Why don't you get it? And I want to smack him in the head. And mm-hmm. I'm like, maybe he hasn't crossed that line. So you have to be careful in how you judge others. Mm-hmm. But and so, anyways, all I have to say. So Smallman of the books talks about this idea of gospel discipleship, and says you don't know where people are in this process. And as you get to know someone in the church, you probably have seen this. There's people in your church you get to know, and you just assume they're Christian because some of the things they say, they know the mm-hmm. language, they know mm-hmm. Christianese. And yep. then as you get to know them, you're like. Huh? huh? You know, that eyebrow goes <laughs> up, you got, that, you got that, that Spock look where the eyebrow pops yeah. up. Like, and then as you get to know them better and better, you realize, oh, I don't think they get it. Mm-hmm. I don't think they get it. And then conversely, you know, we can use the stereotype. You know, you got the guy showing up, you know, uh, who's full of tattoos and piercings and all that. And you're like, oh, this guy. And then you hear something come out of his mouth like, oh my gosh, this guy's soaked in the word of God. Mm-hmm. So we have to be careful how we judge and all yeah, that. That's but a good point. If you think of discipleship like that, you're discipling someone mm. into Christ. That's what evangelism is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you do a lot less hit and run kind of stuff. Yeah, no, that's great, man. You 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 strumming my chords with that, man. Cause you know, people for years to me like separate the two. And I think evangel like to me, I think of discipleship as a spear and discipleship, I mean evangelism is the tip of the spear. Yeah. You know, you gotta hit them with the tip. They gotta hear about Jesus. They gotta know about grace. They gotta know about sin and heaven and hell and all that stuff, you know. And as you keep pushing that spirit into them, they accept Christ and then that spirit kills the old man and now there's a new man in Christ. And um then discipleship continues, right? And it's a it's an ongoing thing. You know, I mm-hmm. heard on Moody years ago, listen to the radio. Um, I can't remember who was saying it, but they said every every Christ follower needs someone pouring into them. And they need to be pouring into someone. Mm-hmm. 
And I just think that's that's a beautiful picture in my mind of what discipleship should look like. There should mm-hmm. always be some pouring going into one of mm-hmm. us. And sometimes it's different seasons and there's different people and there's different mm-hmm. things. And this the same should be true of us. There's different people we pour into. And like you said, maybe as I in birth is giving to me, I'm passed off to Sam. You know what I mean? Yep. And now Sam in a season of my life and then I'm passed off to someone mm-hmm. else. And, and that should continue no matter how old I am and mm-hmm. no matter like, what knowledge I gain mm-hmm. because we're all so broken that we're going to constantly mm-hmm. need to be disciple yeah. until we hit the yeah. dirt. There's a, like that hits home for me when I think about my time as a pastor, because I was the one in charge of discipleship, mm. <laughs> you know, discipling adults, <laughs> discipling students. And I had programs and um, mentors and all the, all this in place. I would disciple people because it was important to me, but I wasn't being discipled. Because I thought, oh, that's not for me. I'm the one in charge of it. But that, you know, and bumper sticker faith is born out of that kind of mentality where I think that, no, I'm okay. I don't need it. Um, And I would argue that as soon as you say that, as soon as you hear yourself saying that during any season of your life, you just got to look out because you do need, even if you're a pastor, you need people in your life Mm -hmm. pouring into you, pushing back, challenging just being there for you to mm. to vomit on if you need to and dissect the stuff together to see, you know, well, what you're going through and how to work through it. Well, um, pastors are especially vulnerable, you're right, because they, yeah. who ministers to the ministers. Yeah. And so some, I think the great segue now would be, tell us about the fellows program. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um might be a little easier, real quick, real fast recap. So the, People get confused with the name C.S. Lewis Institute. Mm-hmm. It's like, what's that got to do with discipleship? Because they think we're a Narnia book reading club mm-hmm. <laughs> or we're just doing a bunch of apologetics. Love and, Narnia. Yeah. yeah, and those are all great. But we were started in the 1970s by two guys. Um, we call them the two gyms. Uh, one of the gyms had been friends with Lewis mm. for like eight years or something like that. He knew him pretty well. And uh, This guy's name is Jim Houston. He went on to start Regent College with Jay Packer. Um, wow. So, uh, and yeah, he just turned 100 last November. He's wow. still alive. He's still alive? He's still alive. I know J.I. Sure. Packer just passed. Dang. Yeah, yeah. And the other Jim is in his mid to late 80s, and he's still alive. These are two great men uh, that just get cut him and they bleed Jesus. Um, so their design uh, was to create an organization, a ministry that was not going to make more fans of Lewis, but to make more people like Lewis. Mm-hmm. So our motto is discipleship of heart and mind. Like, um, I think it goes to your comment earlier about just learning. It's, oh, it's got to be... Yeah, it's learning, but not just head learning. It's a lot of heart learning. Mm-hmm. So uh, in the late 90s, you know, they did a various thing, variety of things over the years. But in the late 90s, they started this thing called the C.S. Lewis Fellows Program. So we've been running it for 22, 23 years, whatever the, that math works out to be. Um, and it is a one-year intentional uh, discipleship program that we run. Um, and that's what I participated in when I found in all of this. I did yeah. that and uh, became a C.S. Lewis Fellow. And that's when God got a hold of my heart showed me that I was going to be doing something else, like finish your time in the Marine Corps, because I could have stayed in beyond 20, mm-hmm. you know, but I uh, I opted not to because I was now hungry for this. Like I found what's been missing my whole life and why mm. I did not have an easy go of it in the Christian life. So um, I came back to Chicago, went to seminary and started here in Chicago. And it's, it's a, I'll just say up front for everybody to think about it. It's a great program. Um, it's a tuition-free program. We don't charge because our motto is Jesus didn't charge for discipleship, mm-hmm. so neither Amen. should we. Wow. Um, we. We meet in the city, but we have people from all over the Chicagoland area because um, people get paired up with mentors, mm-hmm. and they get put in these little discipleship groups of three or four people. And so there's people all over the suburbs and in the city doing it. And it's we bring in great guys like I mentioned Kevin Van Hooser, mm-hmm. or some of your listeners may know Jerry Root or mm-hmm. Eric Redman from Moody Bible Institute. And we bring in just great teachers to teach. Uh, we give them a great course of instruction. They're reading some great stuff. It's not all Lewis. We read Lewis, mm-hmm. but we read A.W. Tozer, and we read Martin Lloyd-Jones, or we read Tim Keller, or, you know, a lot of a lot of great folks. And it's just taking... Pe- In one sense, it's like Christianity 101, but it's going a bit deeper than your average group of people, mm-hmm. and you get to marinate in a biblical theme each month. So mm-hmm. uh, it changed my life. So um, I, I just felt like nobody... And I think I said this in the article you guys read, nobody should ever have to struggle with this again. Mm-hmm. If I can do something to help people and churches understand discipleship better. Mm-hmm. That's that's my mission. And like just so people get a 
true flavor of this. I when I watched the testimonial videos, I watched several from people mm-hmm. about their time in the C.S. Lewis Institute. I was expecting them to say something like, "Oh, the Bible came alive, and I made all these connections, and I was able to apply, and I was able to share the gospel more." Really, I didn't hear too much of that. The main thing that each person said was, "My prayer life grew." Mm-hmm. That, that stood out to me. Like mm. you spent a year in this program with Dr. Kevin Van Hooser, you know, people like that. We used to call him Hooser Daddy. But uh <laughs> but you and you mean to tell me that that that's not what impressed you the most and and that where you grew the most was your prayer life? Like that's incredible. That's awesome to me. And so this is a program where you are being discipled with the intention of then going and discipling yeah, others. Yeah. So we we that's do huge. this in so I like to describe there's a lot of different types of parachurch ministries. And most of them are parallel institutions to the church. Uh, we, I like to describe us as a buttress. We're trying to build up the church. You know, the church is the bride of Christ. I like to say we're just trying to dress her up a bit. Mm. So we want, so to be in, a, in our program, somebody who wants to be a fellow has to get a recommendation from their pastor because we mm. want the church to be aware of what they're, because mm. it's, That's you great. know, you're doing, you're doing yeah. work, you're reading. So you may step back from a couple things you're doing. You're going to have to step back from things mm. in life, you know. Um, and you may hit pause on leading a small group or something like that. Mm-hmm. And we don't want the pastor to be like, what, are you joining a cult or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not as but good. we also, at the end of the program, they're supposed to build a, a it's a real simple thing, but they they create a disciple-making plan, um, and I encourage them to do it in concert with their pastor. And most of the time, it's like, hey, go back and run a small group, but do it with this intentionality. But they're supposed to go back and sit down with their pastor and talk about what mm-hmm. they've learned and how they've grown. So the idea is to feed these people back in the church. Mm-hmm. So, because Okay, so a pastor... What what's he busy doing? He's got a lot of cares in the world. He's got to keep the lights on, got a leaky roof. You know, if it's a small church, he may even be emptying the trash on mm-hmm. his own. Um, if he's if he's getting a chance to do real shepherding, it's usually you know uh, dealing with problems. You know, marital counseling or whatever. And so you get someone who's strong and healthy. They don't always get that kind of attention. You know, and they want to sit down with the pastor, and I want to really nerd out and mm-hmm. let's talk about Calvin or something. Uh, and I'm sure the pastor would love to do it, but he doesn't have the time. Well, send them our way, and this is a mm-hmm. way for us to see. I don't call it leadership training, but it is training for your leaders. Mm. You get those people that are kind of th- up there a little bit. We can instill in them a, a, a solid uh, vision of discipleship. They get to experience it in a way they never had, mm-hmm. and then take that and they, and the idea is like here's. This is the DNA of who we are. Take it back in the church. Mm-hmm. See, that's what I that's what I feel like the missing component was to go back to when I was talking about getting out of prison. Mm-hmm. What I feel like I found based on I would even say research, as I've asked literally hundreds of people I've encountered being out of prison, the reason discipleship isn't on their mind is because they themselves have not been discipled. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's a foreign concept to them mm-hmm. outside of just seeing the word in the Bible. The mm-hmm. disciples or Matthew 28, Jesus says, go make disciples. That's the only familiarity that most people have unless mm-hmm. you're like a seminary student or a Bible college student. You may have a little more interaction with that word or just know the mm-hmm. Greek, <laughs> the Greek word and yeah. definition of yep. it. But no one's been discipled. So why would you why would you have the thought in your mind to do to someone or someone something that hasn't been done to you? That's right. You know, people talk to you about Jesus. You mm-hmm. talk to people about Jesus. Right. So the things that's been done to us, if we're interested in being salt and light, we go out and do and say those things in which have been done mm-hmm. to us. So that's why yeah. nobody's doing it, because people don't, don't know, know about it. That's exactly right. And when I invite someone uh, to mentor in our program, I don't care how old they are. They could be 44 or 84, unless they've already been actively mentoring in their life to a man or a woman. They go, I don't think I'm ready because mm-hmm. they just have never done it. Mm. So, yeah. That's a big part of our program is you get to experience it. And, yeah, and the thing is, you, you're not just being discipled. You're discipling others. That's that, you know, the peer-to-peer elements there. Mm-hmm. And I, I challenge them. I'm like, yeah, you got to roll your sleeves up. This is like spiritual CrossFit. You're going you're yeah. to get a workout. <laughs> so two things for people. One is um, the C.S. Lewis Institute is not just in Chicago, but there's Yeah, we're in 16, like 18, 18. I think we're in 18 different. I keep losing count. We're in about so 18 different cities. So if you're listening to this, which you are, if you just heard me say that, and you're in California, for instance. Hello to Aunt Cindy and uh, Uncle Wayne, by the oh, way. You're out of luck in California. We're you're out of luck yet. in California? Yeah, not there I think yet. the closest oh, we got, I sorry, think guys. we're about to announce Tucson, and we're in Seattle. Okay. Getting west of the Mississippi has been tough. 
So there so, are opportunities for people out there, but in it's the happening US all the that's time. Growing, yeah. If there, so the reason why it was, so it was in Washington D.C. about 30, 35 years of our forty-five years, and it was just just a D.C. ministry. Yeah. But people heard about the program, and so what happens? People just started praying, yeah. and that's when the city started popping up. So if you live somewhere where we're not, you pray about it, and and it'll happen. Well, I guess I had California on my mind too because in your article. You mentioned, I think this yes. was the case, that you had some folks go through the program and they brought back a discipleship plan to their church and, and they came up with something called guerrilla groups. Actually, so that's not exactly, but you're right. What happened was I had just finished the fellows program myself. Okay. And so I was um, performing what we want fellows to do. Okay. So I yeah, finished yeah. the fellows program, but I was, so I was still in the military. I had orders right away. Okay. And I, I moved to California. Oh, okay. And I took what I learned and I engaged my church with it. And there was um it was a small mega church, yeah. you know. Um and I I got to be good friends with a men's pastor mm-hmm. out there. And he's just a really good guy. Mm-hmm. And I was just sharing with him about my experience mm-hmm. and described to him basically the peer-to-peer model yeah. of getting guys t- together in groups of three or four. And he just like loved it. He mm-hmm. he got it right away. And uh, that's when he implemented that in the men's ministry. And he he just adapted it for his own purposes and called okay. it guerrilla groups, sort of like guerrilla yeah. warfare. Yeah. Um, and he had these, he had like, at the time, it was like 12 or 15 of these groups meeting all over. Mm-hmm. And he had he already had a pretty growing men's mm-hmm. ministry, but this kind of threw gasoline on the fire. So what did those guerrilla groups look like? Because this is like, in my mind, if you do this uh, mentoring pro or this discipleship program and you go back to your church and you give them an idea and theoretically it could, this could happen where you could yeah. start something like this. Well, so yeah, what did it look like? In a sense, it can be anything you yeah. get, you get guys and or women together in groups, mm-hmm. three or four. The advantage to that number that Ogden argues is that um, you can't sleep on that group. And if we yeah, were in a yeah, small yeah, group yeah. and there was eight or 12 of us, you know, me and Lewis could be sitting in the corner just kind of mm-hmm. talking about, he's the Bears game, or we could be like not paying mm-hmm. attention or snoozing. Um, or maybe I'm just there to meet the cute girls or something mm-hmm. like that. In a group of three or four, there's no sleeping. Yeah, yeah. There's no sleeping. And it also has an advantage over yeah. the one-on-one because, you know, uh, if I'm a new believer and I ask you to mentor me, it's kind of like stump the chump. I get to just keep asking questions. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of th- reasons why mm-hmm. that dynamic not mm-hmm. might not work. But then you throw Lewis in the mix, and now it's like, oh, it's a different dynamic. Yeah. And if I ask you a question, and you're like, oh, and, and Lewis could jump in like, yeah, well, this is what I think. And then, oh. So it it's just getting guys together to do life. But mm-hmm. you, one of the key, com- what I call, I call these elements of discipleship. I think every scenario you're in is going to be different, but there are common elements of discipleship. And one is you're gathering around the truth of God's word. You mm-hmm. know, the, the truth of God's word should be at the center of what mm-hmm. you're doing. Even if you're not necessarily reading his word directly, like we just didn't sit down and read a passage from the book of John. Maybe we're talking about something we read in, you know, the newspaper, but we're talking about it in terms of that, or we're reading maybe mere Christianity together or something. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the truth of God's word is at the center of our gathering. And then there's other sorts of things that we submit to one another in mutual accountability. We we create environment of transparent trust. And so, you know, if we all had just come out of prison, we might all be up, have our guards up. It's going to take a while to trust mm-hmm. one another. So every mix is a little different, you know. Um, and so you have to emphasize and work different mm-hmm. elements to make it a safe, comfortable, truthful place, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, yeah, they're do- it's as long as they're getting together and doing life together. Yeah. That And so I bet you every one of those groups was slightly different. Yeah, and you talk about that being able to be flexible and adaptable. Yeah. Like each group could be different. And that made me think about C.S. Lewis himself and like the Inklings. The Inklings were a group of guys from mm-hmm. Oxford that um, included guys like Owen Barfield and J.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and a bunch of others. Mm-hmm. And they got together to share what they had written, like whether it was from Lord of the Rings or Chronicles of Narnia, and then critique each other you know, judge each other and, and also to hold each other accountable. Like I've heard when like Tolkien was, um, flagging on finishing the Lord of the Rings, C.S. Lewis was very much like, no, you need to finish this thing. You know, it's good. It's good. Um, but would like a group, like even the Inklings, even though they may not be explicitly Christian, would that be considered like a form? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it can take flexible form of a group. Sure, and if we were all on, you know, a college football team, we're getting together, and then we're talking about the games. 
Absolutely. Mm. And I guarantee you, at the center of their discussions, if somebody said something out of line, you know, yeah, God's yeah. word was it, because they were all believers. So yeah, it can yeah. take a variety of yeah. forms for sure. Yeah. So, pra- so practically, as I'm thinking about discipleship, what would you like? How would you begin a discipleship process? Like you mm-hmm. yourself, what are just a handful of steps that you would take in order to start discipling someone? That's good. Yeah. So the time that the men's group had started those mm-hmm. guerrilla groups, I was on base, and I, I was in a job that required pretty much like 15 to 17 hours a day of work. So I was not in those guerrilla groups directly because by the time I got home, I because I lived 40 minutes away, it was they were always done. But what I did do on base is I started kind of my own. And I just used art, like I just finished the fellows program. I had all these cool two and three page mm-hmm. articles on different topics like union with Christ and prayer and this mm-hmm. and all, or an apologetics topic. And I just, I had been praying that after I had finished the fellow pro, fellows program, I was getting ready to go to California. My mentor he gave me like some marching orders, and one of them was like, "Now it's your turn. You need to pray for someone to disciple." I said, mm-hmm. "I can't do that." And I had a, a month in between, you know, driving cross country, and I took a little vacation, and I was praying about that. And, and it, God answered that prayer because when I got there, it's like they were falling out of the trees. I had, wow! <laughs> I had multiple. I was mentoring one young guy directly, and then I had multiple groups of these triplets and quads going on. And I, what I often did is I just sent them an article. We're going to talk about this tonight, guys. Mm-hmm. And that's what we would do. That's what I did. Is I just. It, it, Discipleship should be easy because, and this is why groups of three or four happen uh, are are easier because you do it anyways. I mean, guys mm-hmm. get together whether it's for yeah, coffee yeah. or beer or watch mm-hmm. the game. It, it's it's natural. You want to, and you know you hear you guys heard Brian die here in Chicago. One of the things mm-hmm. he talks about was life on life discipleship is mm-hmm. to invite them into your life because it makes it natural. You're not mm-hmm. doing all this stuff. Well, that's what you should do. Keep it keep it natural, and that's what I did. I was, I was meeting with guys anyways. Yeah. I was going to, I just now became intentional with it. And I had, across two different bases, I had maybe two or three of these groups mm-hmm. going that I would meet with them, you know, so like once a week I'd have one of these meetings and I just got together and kept it simple. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, read the article, but then you find there's a, someone's got a real big issue that they're wrestling with. I'm like, we're, we're going to go talk about mm-hmm. that. We're going to do life together. Yeah. One of the, one of the, I, I like that, man. I think that's, I think that's, that's what you do. Um, as we in our ministry are all about discipleship, although that word isn't in any of our language per se, um, is like living with people, mm-hmm. you know, the mm-hmm. ultimate form of discipleship mm-hmm. where it transcends it when that transcends, it includes everything, mm-hmm. you know, like yep. God honoring in everything that we say and everything that we do. Because you, know you have I mean? people living with you Correct. in your house. A so, person. So people yeah. understand. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So just, you know, really diving deep into relationships. You know, if you don't have one, do you desire to have one? What does God expect from us as we're in a relationship? Mm-hmm. Whether it be dating, whether it be marriage, what about sex? What about money? How should we be viewing money, spending money, using money? Mm-hmm. Like, so all the, you know, and, and that's something that in every part of our lives, I just think about, what am I experiencing in my life and what areas do I need help? What areas do I feel like I kind of have figured out? And then as I'm discipling people, the areas that I feel like I got figured out, I'm asking questions about what it looks like for them. And then I may be sharing some insight on failures in my life in that area and then maybe successes. And then maybe there's someone that I'm knowing that's successful in these other areas and saying, man, I'm, I'm struggling in this area, man, but you seem to be doing Mm -hmm. pretty good. Like, how did like tell me about that? How did you get to that point? Yeah. You know, and so I'm I'm oftentimes like seeking out discipleship from people in areas that I needed versus people seeing me and saying, "Hey, like come over here with me, man. Let, let let's kick it for a minute." Mm-hmm. And I, but I also think there needs to be intentionality in the language leading up to discipleship. In other words, when we encounter mm-hmm. a brother or a sister, and I would and I would encourage brother on brother and sister on sister, not a guy discipling a woman unless it's their daughter or their mm-hmm. wife or maybe their mom something yeah. like that mm-hmm. but to say hey I would love to go on a journey with you I think mm-hmm. you're getting and, in the difference between formal and informal so you have a lot of informal forms of it yeah, yeah I'm talking about the formal but if you yeah. get into formal one of the things and I think this is why churches will struggle is it's a covenantal relationship and we you know so if I came to you and said I want you to mentor me there's an agreement, even if we don't sign out yep. form, And so there's an agreement to what we're doing, mm-hmm. and it's participatory, and we need to keep that in mind. And any 
fruitful formal discipling relationship is a covenantal relationship. And so that gives us purchase on one another, and that allows mm-hmm. for accountability and things like that. But we don't often speak about those terms explicitly. And so then it gets awkward when, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm supposed to meet with Sam every Thursday and I show up every other Thursday or I show up unprepared. And mm-hmm. he's like, man, KJ's just not. And yeah. you should be able to go, KJ, are you serious? Because mm-hmm. I, I got things I could be doing. I could record more episodes of Lewis. Yeah. So we and have I, to be. Yeah, a little and, I bit might, more. and I might be like, dude, like we just hang. We said we was gonna hang out, man. I can't hang out now. So yeah. in my mind, like this is just a whenever I feel like it or I got time thing. Whereas Sam is more like this is gonna be an every week thing. And mm-hmm. if we don't have that conversation up front, Sam gonna be frustrated when I'm just mm-hmm. blowing him off and not taking it seriously. Yeah, and um, if you're in a formal discipling relationship too, it's helpful to. To build in some expectations and goals, like what do you what do you trying to work on? Well, yep. I want to stop cursing. I want to, and then have periodic reviews. Like, hey, so man. you said you were gonna, hey, man. work on your temper, but you seem like you're getting worse. Yeah, and I and I I personally like the decide the little bit of discipleship I have experienced and seen since I've been out of prison is very much so informal. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's almost like there's a fear associated with mm-hmm. the person that wants to the disciple. Commitment. Well, no, the the discipler is afraid to formally ask the person in yeah. fear that they say no or look at them like they got three heads or something. Yep. Yep. And then the opposite is true too. The person being asked, they're afraid of commitment. Mm-hmm. Dude, if I had a nickel for every person I know that's scared of commitment, I'd be a billionaire. People are so Christians or so afraid of commitment mm-hmm. or do you even have a commitment mm-hmm. to Christ? I think another Golly. fear in this mix, like when I hear the word disciple, and they say, do you want to be a disciple? Do you want to disciple someone? Right away, I think, whoa, that's serious. And I need to be some, this is a serious, I need to be a strong, super Christian and have my act together, be willing to know these things, do these things. But from my um, experience now, it's like, that's the exact opposite, really, that you need to be willing to be vulnerable and weak and expose yourself to people and admit that you don't have it together. Like Lewis, you just said, when you're looking for someone to mentor or disciple you, you're thinking, okay, what are just areas in my life am I where, where I'm lacking and I'm weak and I need to find someone? Mm-hmm. And by nature, then you're opening up to them and you're saying, I need help, help in this me. area. Help me. Help, help yeah, me. Flag. And so like, if you think that to engage in this discipleship activity, you need to be at a certain level. Like that's the wrong thing. Well, you're touching on what I call my second myth of discipleship. Okay. It's, you know, it's what's, and I don't think people fall for this as much anymore, but Greg Ogden, when I heard him teach once goes, how many of you guys consider yourselves Christians? And everybody in the room, of course, disciples. Mm -hmm. How many of you consider yourself disciples? And you had a bunch of hesitant hands like, and the thing is, Christians only use like three times in the New Testament. The word Christian. The word yeah. Christian. It, they're, they're meant to be synonymous. There's a lot of different forms to describe who we are as followers of Christ. Mm-hmm. Disciples, brothers in Christ, saints, on and on. And, you know, uh, a friend of mine had once said, yeah, the word disciple just has a little more bite mm-hmm. to it. It's Christian is kind of, along with the term evangelical even, has kind of become a different sort of adjective now. You say, well, I'm a Cubs fan, or I'm a Sox mm-hmm. fan, I'm a Republican or a Democrat. I'm a, You have all these descriptions, and another one's just sort of Christian. But when you say I'm a disciple, it's saying something about who you are. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to recover that a little bit, but people have that mindset. Oh, I got to be serious. It was like, no, Bonhoeffer said when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That mm-hmm. is serious. And so you should be willing to commit. So I think it's a fear of commitment, but I also think it's because we live in the Netflix, the Netflix age mm-hmm. and we all want our, we want our options when nobody wants to give up. So it's not, it's FOMO. It's, it's fear of commitment, but it's also this FOMO. Mm. And like I, I and so how many times have you scrolled through to trying to figure out what to watch with Netflix? I'm sitting there an hour this, scrolling and this, and, this, and, this, and, this, and like, I could watch three shows by now. <laughs> yep. There's some of that too. And so people won't commit because like, well, if I say I'm going to meet with these guys on Thursday mornings, I might not have my options. And then you end up doing nothing. Exactly. Mm. You end up doing nothing. So just just as, a, as we get coming kind of to a close, in case you were wondering what my favorite term is to be recognized as you can just call me saint lewis but no seriously so um as we are nearing the end um any final thoughts any last words any comments yeah uh, discipleship is not an option you are called to a life of discipleship which includes discipling others and it's not a unique spiritual gift like some of the other things are listed, like mm-hmm. evangelism. We're all called to do it. Mm-hmm. You don't get out That's of it. Good. Golly, That's man. good. Yes, that is money right there, and man. If you're not doing it, so 
it's not a question of whether or not you are or are not a disciple. Mm-hmm. It's a question of whether or not you're an obedient disciple. And George MacDonald said obedience is, you know, uh, the door to knowledge. And so you will grow and learn as you disciple and are discipled. And then I would just say, too, for those of you in one of the 18 cities we're in, if you're interested, we're going to start taking applications for the Fellows Program mm-hmm. between now and the middle of April. This is a great time to pray about it and see if God's calling you to join us and get a real taste of what discipleship's like. Hey Amen. And, and if you're listening and you're out in some other state and you're thinking, man, I would love to come and do this, but I have the time. But I don't have the resources of like, where am I going to stay? How am I going to get there? Like, shoot us an email. Like, me personally, Lewis Dooley, like, I would love to have a conversation with you. And, hey, maybe you can stay with us. Maybe we help you Mm -hmm. with transportation. Like, we don't want – if anything I can do, this is how serious discipleship is for me and how much I believe in the C.S. Lewis Institute and what they're doing with this program that I'm willing to help um, the best I can mm-hmm. to try to help promote your discipleship so that you can go make yeah. disciples. Mm-hmm. And so, man, thank you but for that. But if you could put my email in your show notes, too, we have a bunch of resources, free resources online you can use, and I'm, I'm willing to coach folks on how to mm-hmm. use them if it's just unfeasible. Somebody lives in you know, Los Angeles, they're not going to come out here. Yeah. I can help them mm-hmm. use those resources in a way that we do it so you can kind of replicated at your own scale. I'm happy to help folks do that. Wow. And I would say great. my last uh, last thought, last words are, I, this is causing me to reflect on, like when, when you become a Christian, you're born again, you have this new living person inside you, this new heart. And discipleship is that mechanism, that thing, that process that God gave us, that Jesus mm. gave us in order to mature that new person. And like we've been saying, it's not an optional thing. Nope. It, it is like the thing. And pro- and then in your life, too, it's one of the most important things that I can do in my life, more so than a job, yep. more so than anything. Yep. The thing that will give me the most meaning and purpose in my life so that I can have peace and face the storms in life is discipleship in that um, molding and crafting and conforming of this new nature that God has given me. And thankfully the Holy Spirit is in that process so people can't mess it up too much, mm. but um, he will um, see the result. Amen. Preach. Amen. So man, so man, it's been great, man. man KJ, thanks for your did yeah. go by fast. Thank oh, you for Tell them about us. what we're going to do next. Yeah. So Bonus. Um, for all of our um, Patreon supporters, all of our BS crew Supporters, man, we got a special um, little segment that we're going to do with KJ. So um, just a bonus for you. So sorry for all you other listeners. You won't have access to this, but you can if you want to become a faithful supporter of Bumper Sticker Faith. He'll give us an um, annual spiritual checkup, right? An annual spiritual yeah. checkup. This is going to be rich, y'all. You don't want to miss it. And so thank you, KJ, for being here today. It's a lot of fun, man. You know, when I think about discipleship, it definitely is something that's um, my heartbeat. And when I think about what Jesus said about making disciples, um, I think that was a command. You know, and I think, in my opinion, when I'm not focusing or making disciples, I'm sinning against what Jesus said. Mm -hmm. I'm being disobedient to my Savior by not making disciples. So think about that, y'all. Let that marinate a little bit until we see you again. Don't Um, go step in, no. B.S. Peace. (laughs) Ha, ha.